The Origins of is a podcast about ancient wisdom, crazy myths, everyday objects and concepts, and the overall creativity of humankind. Join Jesse and Olivia as we explore the origins of the things we encounter around us every day. I'm Jesse, And I'm Olivia. And we are back with another episode this week. This week we have a Halloween-themed episode. Yeah, mystic. Mystic and occult. (laughs) We will be digging into the mystical and occult things. And October is probably my favorite month. Definitely. It's when it starts to feel a little cooler Mm -hmm. and you can pull out your cozy socks and, (laughs) you know, watch a scary movie. Pumpkin everything, which Mm -hmm. I... It doesn't bother me. I love pumpkin everything. I know it bothers a lot of people, but I'm I'm psyched. I like pumpkin things. I don't really love pumpkin lattes, but like mm. other pumpkin things I can get yeah. behind. Carving pumpkins, mm-hmm. getting into the season. It's also apple picking time in yeah. Georgia because we're a little bit behind the rest of the <laughs> slightly cooler areas right. of the country. Yeah. Uh, Jesse and I just got both back from traveling mm-hmm. and we uh, came came from really chilly um, places back to really humid and hot south. Welcome home. Uh, yes. Yeah. I don't know that we've ever said this on the podcast, but we run together as well. Okay. And so we were especially... Uh, it was um, miserable. Cursing our home state yesterday. Yeah, we were. Um <laughs> So, um, I'm actually going to pull, so we're doing, we didn't actually say, but we're doing Ouija boards and tarot cards cards, today. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I'd like to start off by pulling a card to, um, just kind of set us off, right? Yes, please do. So this card I'm going to pull is the, and I might not know what it is. Aw, it's the six of cups. It's a good one. Um, six of cups. Yep. And I will explain all of that. This is a good card. I'm just going to kind of tuck it aside and I'll explain it later. But for all the tarot enthusiasts at home, you can be like, yay, six of cups. That's a good card. Um, so that's that, but so you're going to kind of shine over our episode. Yeah. Kind of yeah. Or it just sort of sets this, the sets the stage. Um, and I'll kind of explain all of my stuff and what tarot is. Um, once I do. Yeah. And I brought both for the people at home and I can like, maybe post pictures. Um, we're going to do some readings after the show. Um, probably not the Ouija board, but we'll do, I'll do some tarot readings, but I have an old 1972 Ouija board that I brought mm-hmm. today. And I also have a couple Probs. of, <laughs> and I, um, have a couple of tarot decks. I left one scandalous one at home. I don't know why. I think you guys would have, I have an erotic tarot as well. and <laughs> I didn't bring it, but I do have a version, um, from France that I'll explain. And then I have my, my main version, um, called the Revelations Tarot with me today. Um, but Jesse's going to be starting us off with Ouija boards. Starting us off with Ouija boards. And also, can I note, don't you have a tarot cocktails deck that oh we gave God, you yes. too? Yes. Yes. The tarot cocktails, though, isn't, isn't the, <laughs> not the typical. Not Yeah, it's not the typical tarot deck. It doesn't have, like, the 78 cards, but um, it has cocktails, recipes mm-hmm. on the back, which we really need to, like, have a day where we just each pick one and, like, yeah. make, make it or something. Because well, I think that's so fun because when you are making cocktails, sometimes, sometimes if you don't have a go-to or something you're excited mm-hmm. to try, you're just like, oh, well, yeah. you know, what cocktail do we make? And which happens really all good. the time. We're just really lazy. Like, we just mm-hmm. need to, like, make a day where it's, like, everyone come over, grab a tarot card, we go get stuff, and we make cocktails all day. Mm-hmm. That sounds like a lot of fun, right? Or just come to our, uh, my house and we'll right. probably already have it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. Well, Ouija boards. Let's or hear it. We. I think it's Ouija or Ouija. I think some people are saying Ouija. Um, Okay, so Ouija boards. uh, Ouija is actually a trademarked name. So I'll just go ahead and put that out there. Um, the it, It's sort of like Band-Aid or Kleenex. So when you say Ouija board, you are referring to a specific brand name of what is the more generic uh, talking board. Oh, mm-hmm. talking board. Okay, mm-hmm. interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and pr- pretty much n- no one has any credible sources that go 
earlier than 1840s. Okay. So this is not a super old origin. Um, mm-hmm. We're not going to be spending time with Pliny the Elder or <laughs> um, or um, Augustus or Julius Caesar, anyone older. Um, this is definitely a more modern um, device. And yeah. so there is um, like there was one or two mentions of like people try to link it back to Pythagoras in about 540 BC or possibly in China, but there's like literally no evidence mm-hmm. to support any of that. So then it kind of goes out the window pretty quickly and begins. Um, so first off, let me just explain what a Ouija board is mm-hmm. for um, anyone who might not know. It's basically a spirit board or talking board, a flat board marked with letters of the alphabet and the numbers zero through nine, as well as the words, yes, no, goodbye, and sometimes hello. And then a couple of other various symbols or graphics. So it will be interesting to look at your board. Yeah. <laughs> I figure out what's on there. Um, and then there's the planchette, which is the teardrop-shaped little um, t- tool that oh, you use. Oh, I didn't use. know it was called a planchette. Mm-hmm. Planchette to, um, that can either have a pointer on it or a hole in the center of it. Mine has a hole, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are two different versions. And basically the general pr- uh, concept is that you uh, two or more people will sit around the board and place their fingers on the planchette and ask a question. And then that the planchette moves around the board seemingly of its own accord. Right. Ooh. So that's the very basic um, right. and Wikipedia we're not, of a We're Ouija not getting board. into our personal beliefs on these things. We are nope. just origins, just <laughs> talking mm-hmm. about. I mean, I might get into a little bit of tarot with my, my side, but we, um, for anybody that has the strong opinions on this, we're just talking about the origins. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, I'll talk a little bit about the cultural um, mm-hmm. life of Ouija boards. <laughs> Obviously, you can't avoid that, but I think um, it's hopefully, hopefully not offensive to right. you. It's <laughs> not the goal here. Um, so... Um, there is an official Ouija historian, and he calls it Ouija, um, Robert Murch. And literally, like any article I read about, there's actually a lot of really good articles about Ouija. Um, I was impressed, um, and I read about probably about six or seven of them. And pretty much, if they were in the know, they talked to this Robert Murch guy. And since huh. 1992, he's been researching Ouija and he is pretty much the world's living expert. (laughs) Wow. And also that there, I guess there wasn't really anyone who had actually compiled the history of, of, um, Ouija in culture before that time. What a job. Like you're at a party and someone's like, what do you do? And you're like, Oh, I'm the leading historian. (laughs) I mean, what do you do? (laughs) (laughs) Can't top that. (laughs) So um, basically, as I mentioned before, this only this goes back to 19th century uh, America, specifically the spiritualism movement. Um, and so you might wonder um, why would there be a market for the talking board or the spirit board? And basically, in the 19th century, um, spiritualism uh, spiritualism was sort of an obsession in America. Um, things like um, uh, mediums became. Mm-hmm. Um, used and popular uh notably mary todd lincoln held a seance in the white house after her 11 year old Mm. son died of a fever in 1862 basically um especially if you think about the civil war think about 1840s 1850s 1860s um there were a lot of people life expectancy was low you didn't really live much past 50 women died in childbirth children died of diseases Mm -hmm. men were going off to war just just lots of death there's just lots of death and so um people were basically you know if you lost a loved one too soon 
Um, it was seen as a very um, useful way to get in touch with a loved one after they died. Mm-hmm. It, it fit in with Christianity at the time. It was not seen as opposing hmm. force. It was just a way of, you know, um, reaching out to a loved one in a way that you hadn't before. Um, oh, that makes me so sad. So it was um, offered you solace um, at, at, at a rough time like that. And so basically, um, especially with the Civil War, that's when a lot of people credit as like, America's obsession with this wanting to um, invest in spiritualism and Mm -hmm. go to a medium and possibly get some answers, questions answered. Um, I want that movie. mm -hmm. You don't really see, when you see a lot of war movies, you don't really see that side of people trying to connect, but I want that. Like, I want to see the side where someone's connecting with spirituality because of grief. Um, God, that's so sad. Yeah, it is. So, um, if you're, if you're going to have a, um, such a, a thing like that pop up in, in your culture, inevitably, um, someone's going to try to capitalize on that. So I'll get to that in a second. Um, but what was happening, what was funny about them using mediums in, um, in this effort to talk to your, loved ones lost, um, is basically that it was really clunky and time consuming and basically super boring. And people were like, cool, but I don't want to wait for you to call out all the letters. And then we wait for a knock. And then, cause that was sort of the thing is like people, the person in the room, like the seance, mm, the medium mm-hmm. would like, um, recite the letters and you said like, a, you'd wait for a knock. Oh, like B, before there was an actual board. It was yeah. This like, is pre, okay. um, Spirit, uh, spirit board yeah and so they they would just be like uh is there a way to speed this up you know <laughs> it's taking a little too long for me to get in touch with my relatives and especially at the time like you know tel- telegrams had been invented and so they were kind of like hey isn't there any way we could do this any faster and so that's when the concept of a talking board or a spirit board first mm-hmm. arose and it was a popular tool of a medium to use um however then <laughs> As I mentioned before, businessmen came in and said, um, "Yeah, we're going to totally market this as a <laughs> as a, something we can make money off of." And so that is where Elijah Bond came into play. Um, he is the person who got the patent on it. However, William Fold F U L D is often credited as the inventor, though mm-hmm. I've heard like there's different. Um, other mm-hmm. people say, oh, no, he just happened to inherit it later or mm-hmm. whatever. And so, um, but basically, Elijah Bond um, in 1891 got a patent um, for the Ouija board as a parlor game that answered, qu- that quote, answered questions about the past, present, and future with marvelous accuracy, Ooh. end quote, and promised, quote, never failing amusement <gasps> And recreation for all classes. What a stretch. Mm-hmm. Think, oh, so, mine says William Fold on it. Your game? Yes. Oh, cool. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. It's oh, also, cool. I think it also says, hold on one sec. It also says Parker Brothers on it. Which it does. is before um, it got bought by Hasbro. So Oh. Yeah, because it's had a couple different. I have seen them in stores. Like, I'm, mm-hmm. like, walking by Target and there's a Ouija board. And I'm like, oh, that's not jarring at mm-hmm. all to see this thing. <laughs> yeah, it's really funny. I mean, uh <laughs> I mentioned before we started recording that I looked it up on Amazon and there's some pretty entertaining <laughs> reviews of the Ouija board. That is so that funny. I recommend highly. But yes, this was the Kennard Novelty Company and it's what uh, Mr. Bond and some of his colleagues founded after they got the patent for the Ouija board um, to basically, you know, cash in on this mm-hmm. uh, parlor game pretty much. 
Hmm. So they call it a parlor game, even mm-hmm. though really it was used spiritually. Um, it was the... kind of both. What you're mm-hmm. gonna what you're gonna notice is that it was pretty much this weird intersection of both of those things, mm-hmm. which I think if um if you haven't been thinking about this already, <laughs> Ouija boards have a definite connotation of being very spooky and yes. scary. So yeah. it's our Halloween episode. You so. <laughs> have to please set that aside because mm-hmm. that is a very recent um mm-hmm. uh, cultural. D- difference this is literally a time of using it for spirituality nothing Mm -hmm. that's like witchy or spooky Mm -hmm. or anything like that just literally i mean just as you might pull out a devotional book or something right right it was that okay um so but it was marketed once it became marketed it was more of you know hey here's a fun thing you can do with the family so um before I get ahead of myself with that, I do want to get, give you a small side with the origin of the actual um, name, Ouija. Oh, yeah. Um, because when they basically wore talking branding and they developed it, um, they needed a good name besides just talking board, you know, um, something that would be really catchy. And so um, Bond's sister-in-law, Helen Peters, she was herself a, quote, strong medium. Hmm. Um, he basically uh, sat her down on the Ouija board and 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 they asked the Ouija board, what You're kidding. are you named? You're kidding. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. I just got so, chills. So the board, <laughs> uh, the board answered O-U-I-J-A. And then they asked, what does that mean? And the board said, good luck. No. Oh my <laughs> That's the story. So, no. Now I will tell what? you that apparently there's some um so, like, she was wearing a locket at the time, and it had, like, a woman in it that – and then it allegedly said Ouija over it, over her name – like, over her picture. And so that was maybe where she got the inspiration. So there's a lot of, you know, debunking that can go on. Also, Ouida, O-U-I-D-A, was the name of an author and, um, like, women's activist at the time. Mm-hmm. And so it's possible that, like – she just misspelled that or something right. like that. Oh, I still but love it. But it's really it. great to it. just like, if you just want to totally lean into that, you can say that, you know, the board named itself. Yeah. Oh, I'm leaning into it because, <laughs> all right, I'll, I'll tangent just for a second. Mm-hmm. And what I think, I know we said we we're going to do it, but yes, it might've been influenced, but still it wasn't Wida and it wasn't whatever. It was the, the two of their energies or their, their hand motions combined to make mm-hmm. this thing with their own product. Like that is really cool. Whether mm-hmm. it's mystic or, or just, Oh, they saw a name and they were both sort of trying to push it and it yeah. got misspelled. Like the D got misplaced for the J like, that's still so cool to me. Yeah. Like using your own product to determine. Oh, it's so no, cool. I agree. And I think I take the opposite point of like, <laughs> I really just think they wanted something that sounded really exotic and cool and uh. <laughs> they came up with it. Weedy. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so the, so cool. uh, that is the story. The other thing too, is that technically the patent office said we will not give you a patent until you can prove that this works. And so they, he, Mr. Bond brought, um, Miss Helen Peters down to the patent office with him and, uh, it, the little thing says afterwards oh on February 10th, 1891, um, he, the patent office uh, officer asked if they could, um, spell his name with the Ouija board and they, apparently didn't know his name you know so oh okay i was like, like well, so you that's just easy. walked in and there was a random dude and then you said well and they, you know, it spelled his name uh-huh and it spelled his name so a no. visibly shaken patent officer awarded bond his patent for his new game or toy 
Uh, that, that is so crazy. 1891. This is a movie. Why isn't this a movie that, it that, that really leaves fun. the yeah. occult out of it? And it's just like, okay, here's a really cool tale of mm-hmm. these two. And they go in and yeah, they're having cool, to prove it. I, I also want to tell you, I didn't get too much into this because it's not really super relevant, but there is a mysterious death. Mr. Fold, oh, no. um, uh, who's on your board down there, oh, gosh. Um, he dies mysteriously in his factory, like in the er, maybe 1910s, I think. And oh, he... No. Um, apparently built the factory after his Ouija board told him to build the factory. Oh so my gosh. There's some, there's some fun stuff you could, you could dig into deeper. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So then we have the, uh, they definitely play into the ambiguity and mystery of this board when they start to have this marketed product, right? So it gains popularity in the 1890s, in the 1900s. Um, really notably, it has this staying power in our culture because it sort of taps into this weird place where we have like a mystical oracle and family entertainment. Um, so it sort of appealed to a wide spectrum of ages, professions, and education uh, and education levels. And basically, Merch, our historian, says um, something that you often say, is people want to believe, like, mm-hmm. you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, X-Files. Mm-hmm. I want to believe. For yeah. sure. So um, it enjoyed great popularity even in times of, uh, if you think of the World War One or in the mm-hmm. Great Depression, um, literally in those times of uncertainty, um, people almost like leaned in more, right? Right. Uh, really funny in 1920, and this is one of the images that we're going to have up on the website, um, Norman Rockwell did a painting a famous super americana of two people using a ouija board uh, what? which i think goes to show like just how innocuous it was in uh culture it was just considered it was actually considered a dating game because uh you could be in close proximity by touching hands to do the oh ouija board while still being very chaste in for the for the 1910s what? So you could have, yeah, it was considered like super fun. You'd go to a, you might go to like a barn oh, yeah. dance and there would be oh, Ouija, a barn dance. Ouija board oh, <laughs> in the corner. So, that is so great. Uh, yes. So it, it, and I looked it up and it's, there it I've is. I've got to see that Ouija painting, board. Yeah. Um, super, like it could just be two people cracking open a Coke and they've got their, their Ouija <laughs> yeah, board right there. Um, so yes, so Parker Brothers bought it in 1966, and in 1967 it outsold Monopoly. Um, what? Mm-hmm. No, mm-hmm. no. Well, think about also like the, especially. By the way, the Smithsonian has a really long article about it that was really good. It gets into a lot of different details that I didn't even not even mention. We'll have to but throw that up. Yeah, we will definitely po- um, post that on the website. But the uh, in the sixties, think about the uncertainty that was happening with Vietnam. Yeah, and with, like, but you know, Monopoly is like, like everyone. Okay, it, the reason why I'm shocked at that is that like. <laughs> All of us have Monopoly. Like, I have Monopoly at home. I'm mm-hmm. sure you guys do, too. It's just something you just sort of Absolutely, have. Absolutely, have that. Mm-hmm. But no one has a Ouija board. Like, I have one, and I didn't tell you my, my Ouija board story. Is this a good Yeah, segue? go ahead. Perfect. So why do I have a Ouija board? Um, a couple of years ago, um, when I was still working full-time, and um, I was with my boss and another friend, and we decided to, on a Friday, because we kind of could work from home, to go visit an estate sale. And obviously an estate sale is a sale of a person's home after they have passed away. Or sometimes if they've just moved into like assisted living. Oh yeah. Well, this person was boy dead. So <laughs> it was in Buckhead and uh, like this, this old part of Buckhead and we get to this house and there are like creepy doll houses like lined up with like what? scenes in them. And then we get upstairs and there's like these, these plants that have like overgrown sunrooms. And I have these pictures I'll have to show you. They're, they're insane. But we walk into this room and I see it. And it's six dollars, and I was like, 
Gotta get First it. First of all, six dollars. And this freaky. And I'm in this freaky. It's on Halloween. This was Ooh. on Halloween. Like, like a couple. Whenever Halloween fell on a Friday a couple of years ago. See, that would be the start to a um, great movie. It was. It was crazy. Well, Girl, I actually initially. I know. You board at a state sale. And it <laughs> yeah. Happens to be a Jumanji like adventure. Oh, I know. Oh my god. Um, so I actually walked away from it at first because I was like, I don't need to spend money on that. And then as we were walking away, I was like, guys, like, I can't walk away from buying a $6 Ouija board on, um, Halloween. So, I mean, I've never actually used it. Um, I know one girl who was house sitting for me once used it and she's like, yeah, it was definitely spooky. And I was like, yeah, I don't really have any, I don't know. I've never really been drawn. I just, it's just sort of a neat thing to have because it isn't old. It's from 1972. It actually super legit. Size William Fold on it. Um. It's like the the image of it, it's got all the cool symbols and like the the board itself is like a nice wood. It's not really like the plastic. Oh, I was I guess gonna you ask get. you, yeah, because that was yeah. my fear of the ones on Amazon. Is I was like, oh, this this probably yeah. doesn't have the same feel. Oh, I, no, I literally has want a, feel. a Jumanji experience. Yes. I want it to be like thick wood and it feels you know but. yeah so that's that's kind of it's just sort of been chilling ever since it's sort of like a it's a cool talking piece mm-hmm. and it's, I mean I've never actually used it again um but I like having it around I don't know what this feels like because I'm into mystic and that kind of stuff so. and into board games so y- yes you know, very, very true if you're into mystic and board games maybe recommend <laughs> it's a natural but yeah uh, none of yeah. our friends have it like do you know anybody else that has one just sort of lying no around? I mean mm-hmm. so but for I can't have... say that I've ever asked anyone yeah you know but what, I don't though? see it on their yeah board game shelves. Either, I guess the so. fact that I bought it though from someone who might have it, some, who might have been, you know, had picked it up in that era when it was pop more popular. Yeah, than didn't it say nineteen seventy two on? Yeah, it, it Did does. We discuss yeah. that. Yeah, that's notable because everything right. I've talked about so far is pretty innocent. Mm-hmm. How did Ouija boards become scary? Yeah, I'm gonna throw out a year at you. It's 1973. Okay. What happened in 1973? Oh, what what affected the minds of every American oh, that God. year? I don't do history. I don't, I don't know. It's, po- it's super pop culture. Oh, I don't know. There was a movie that came out. 1973? A movie? Mm-hmm. Um, Involving I, pea soup. I, I don't know. Have you ever seen The Exorcist? Oh, yes, 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 yes. Okay, yeah. Okay, okay The I Exorcist. I was thinking, like, Stephen King for some reason. Okay. Mm-hmm. The Exorcist yeah. came out in 1973. That was 1973, huh? hmm And, um... I thought it was the 80s. mm Okay. Super 70s. Okay. So, uh... <laughs> then it turned... Is that... Literally, even, mm-hmm. Wow. She uses a Ouija board in the movie, which I didn't actually remember. I don't remember that either. Um, I remembered the dude at the beginning who goes and gets some sort of occult thing like he's in Iraq at a archaeological something and there's some type of mm-hmm. small emblem so much so that I was like wait is it did I miss the point of the movie mm-hmm. so I went and found it this morning <laughs> and I was watching the beginning part because I was a little bit confused and yeah um it was it actually didn't really clarify it for me because the whole prologue of that movie um you should go back and watch it if yeah. it's been a while since you've seen it the whole prologue of that movie is um, the priest um, who will later get called in to do her yeah. exorcism is starts off in a rock and a dig and he finds this ghoulish looking thing. And I, I, it, the internet says, <laughs> the internet told me <laughs> that it, it means that he kind of realizes that he's released a demon and that it will be somewhere, oh. but it's going to be very random and that he will be called in for some sort of exorcism. And he like understands this in the movie. I think I'm just really confused. I remember I watched it, I think a year or two ago and hadn't seen it since I was little <laughs> and literally had to stop the movie and like Google it to make sure I was watching the right movie because it was so 
Yeah. It was so long. The prologue was so long and didn't relate at all to anything I remembered about the actors. <laughs> so anyway, that's yeah, a Yeah, I haven't tangent, seen it in a while. I'll definitely have to sort yeah, of Yeah, it's worth up. watching. Um, wow. So, yeah, the uh, basically, literally, it existed on the periphery of American culture, mostly non-threatening, save for a few cases of Ouija-inspired murders that had been happening. Like, very few. Right. Um, less than half a dozen, probably, until 1973, when The Exorcist came out, um, supposedly being a true story and all this kind of hullabaloo. But basically... Uh, she plays with a Ouija board and then is later possessed. Right. And it changed it the entire culture overnight. Oh, my gosh. Overnight. One movie. Yeah. Literally into – well, if you think about it, the time, I think The Exorcist was one of those movies, I think, that was like one of the first that was a genuinely scary movie. Right. That sort of ushered in tons of copycats after that. And so I think it really freaked people out. It literally overnight was like, okay, um, tool of the devil. The devil. Yeah. The devil's preferred method of communication oh is the Ouija board. And, <laughs> His um, preferred method of communication. <laughs> pretty much how you can get in touch with them. And um, they, uh, they uh, emerged, the historian again said, likening it to Psycho, uh, where mm. before that, really no one was scared of showers. And then after <laughs> yeah. the movie. Yeah, movies have such a Spoiler large there's... cultural influence mm-hmm. on us. Um, Particularly, yeah. the you know, milestone movies like that. So right. Those are often considered, you know, That's um, turning point movies. And so after that, um, it became depicted in many scary movies, sort of open, um, where the Ouija board might open the door to the evil spirits or, you know, um, wreak havoc. And they're really good plot devices for any kind of scary right. story that you want to tell is like, right. yeah, why don't you open up that box and just invite some evil into your life? And right. So that's really how it became perceived. And then obviously shortly thereafter it was denounced by religious groups. And so that's how we get a right. lot of the things that we have today where they'll um, cite scripture as it being sinful and as it being, it is a sin to communicate with, um, why? Um, oh, right. That's not that kind of podcast. Spirits. Yeah. <laughs> I am not going to speak at all yeah. about that. Um, but basically, uh, yeah, it be- this is when it became denounced and and kind of seen as extremely scary. So much so that Merch, our historian, has um, he's very involved in like paranormal conferences and things like that, and has literally been told, "Please do not bring your Ouija boards to yeah. our conferences. It's because a big thing." They're scary, and mm-hmm. we're scared of them. Right. So um, they have pretty much a dodgy reputation because they scare people. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's when they became truly spooky rather than spiritual, and they had this really um, specific note of danger, right? Just like Man. that you don't want to mess with those. Yeah. <laughs> that is wild. Um, one more thing. Quick note about the um, the actual like how does it work kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So there's a whole branch in the Smithsonian article that I didn't get into that's about the psychology behind Ouija boards, which is probably pretty fascinating. Sounds it's just super interesting. Not super relevant for origins, but basically they'll talk about the um, idiomotor response. So like people's unconscious movements and sort of the the power of suggestion and in in psychology and, mm-hmm. and affecting what's actually happening right. um, when you are working with a Ouija board. Um, I mean, obviously based on what you believe, but there is some psychological readings and tests mm-hmm. and things that they've done to try to figure out, to try to wrap their heads around how it works. Um, it's not right. something that the patent explains. <laughs> uh, and then finally, um, it's pretty much now used, as I mentioned before, in tons of uh, movies and TV plots, including, I remember it made um, 
a pretty scary uh, cameo in The Stand, which is oh, we yeah. talked about before in this by Stephen Read King. yet. I need to. It's on my list of things to read. Super epic, but there is um, a very specific scene when a, a, one of the characters uses a Ouija board. And that is the origin of Ouija. That was awesome. I got so. chills when it named itself. <laughs> that was so cool. That's awesome. Yeah. And of course, not to offend anybody, there are, I mean, I kind of run in those mystic spheres. And a lot of people are just like, yeah, those are like inviting trouble and yada, yada like all that stuff. And um, mm-hmm. we definitely don't want to be disrespectful, um, so, which is why we're not using it. But I, I just think that if you're giving something that sort of power, then you should respect it. Like if you if it's in your belief system that it's really gonna invite it's a, a bad spirit, mm-hmm. like don't do it, right? Yeah. Like, like don't don't toy with that. Um that was awesome. So um, it's so interesting that you cut to kind of blend into tarot in that you said mediums heavily used Ouija boards because they're communicating with those that have passed when they were when they were first around I should mm-hmm. say because actually after that they kind of got yeah, annoyed with them like, because mm-hmm. they're like hey people you're kind of yeah uh, um, diminishing my yeah. skill over here by you just like hanging out in your living room trying to do that but anyway, right yeah. mm-hmm. well similarly um psychics and intuitives use tarot cards so to to kind of do the overview of what a tarot card is tarot cards have a huge misconception of being like um future and um, predictive they are not that is not at all what tarot cards are for or do they can be um but that's not what they are so i learned everything i know from actually an amazing tarot reader um kelly knight of modern mystic um shout out to her she has a shop that is moving from paris on ponce to actually ponce city market which if you know atlanta that's a big deal it's like one of the biggest places um it's definitely becoming really mainstream um, but I took one of her classes, Tarot 101, because to me, what I think of tarot cards is that they are therapy flashcards, basically. No matter what you believe, if I hold up a card that says, you know, the lover's on it, and I'm like, oh, I just wish my boyfriend would propose. It's like, okay, you told me that. Like, the card mm-hmm. didn't say that. Like, I'm holding up a picture, and it's, you're telling me how you respond to it. So even if you don't believe in it, if I'm holding up something and you you give me feedback there you go. That's our open dialogue. It's it's just a pictorial way of opening up dialogue. So each of the cards has a meaning. Um, so there are 78 cards. And they are divided into the pip cards, which are the ace through ten. And then there's a court. Pip? Yeah. P-I-P. Oh. I don't know why it's called that. I don't know what that is. Um, just like the regular. Like, you know, ace, one, two, three. I guess I don't know what those are in regular cards either. So. They're just, I, think, I don't know if they're called pip cards in regular just card me. decks either. Um, and funnily enough, these have nothing to do with a regular card deck. You think if they would come out of that, but it was a whole separate game, which I'll get into. Um, so 78 cards. So there's the regular ace through 10. And then there's the court, which is going to be your um, page, knight, and then queen and king. So there's um, all those. And then there is the major arcana, which is important because that's where it started. The major arcana is sort of what was started. And the major arcana starts from 0 to 21 as well. Okay. Um, and it goes on a journey. So 0 is the fool. He is like the the start. He's like the child. He's kind of starting the path, and it goes all the way up to um, the world, which is the the last card, which is like the ultimate fulfillment card. It's like the universe, kind yeah. of, or like that. Yeah, of, okay. it's like the, it's like we've reached, we've culminated, and these cards are um, the heavy symbols you see: death, the lovers, um, the hierophant, um, the hanged man. Like those are all the ones you see in pop culture. Ones that are lower are of less import. Like if you oh no no with the so. Fool, so- the tarot goes on a journey. So even the zero, even the pip cards, it go from ace to um, 10. Mm-hmm. Um, so I pulled the six of cups for us, right, for this podcast. Um, the six of cups kind of represents, oh, did I keep it out? Yeah. You can kind of see the card. It's a, my, my deck is um, a stained glass 
kind of creature sort oh, of cool. deck. Um, but it's like a happy memory card. Like you can see it's the nostalgia. Like he's kind of thinking about his like past. And so we're reflecting on Origins Past, which is really cool because that's what this card is. That's it's the cool. reflection. It's a good reflection card. Oh, that's awesome. Um, so there's, a, there's four suits. Um, oh, so it tells a journey. So Ace is, is a new beginning. So if you get the Ace of anything, it symbolizes you're starting off on that. Um, so there are four suits, cups, um, swords, wands, and um, pentacles, and they all represent something. Um, and that's pretty much what they always have been except for the Italian version, which is which was cups, coins, batons, and swords. So they've always been one of four of that sort of thing. Because pentacles are um, earth. I don't know what those are. <clears throat> They're like the little star. You know, oh, okay, like the devil okay. star. <laughs> uh, but pentacles are coins, basically. They're always gold. Um, they're not always gold, but they represent earth, like earthly things, materialistic things, money, wealth. So if you get a lot of pentacles, that's good because it's like, you're making money. Mm, cool. Um, wands are all about like energy. Like they're like, you know, motion things um and that was kind of related to the baton so something being passed okay swords are all about the mind they're all about you know you're thinking too much or i get i get that card a lot that you're thinking about things too much or you're doing mm-hmm. it to yourself and there are a lot of action but that's a lot of like mental action and then cups are emotions cups are like the the sort of um being intelligent with your feelings and emotions and and, and kind of tapping into things so by that logic, you know, the ace of pentacles just means start of good money. Like you're on a good path to a good, a good success. You know, um, ace of swords would be at the start of a new thought. So the, the whole deck. Because those are at the start of the journey. Yeah, so okay. ace through 10. So the tens of all of those cards are the culmination of that journey. Um, so since we pulled the six of cups, six is right after five, which is sort of like the hump in the road. So you're kind of mm. like pausing to reflect after you stopped and, you know, so you can really read the deck, even not having any knowledge about it just by knowing that story. And then the same thing is with the, um, the court cards, you know, page, page and knights are basically like, I don't want to, essentially it's like teens and teenagers or, um, teen girls and teen boys. It's like, you're not quite a mother, not quite a father, but you're kind of in that space. And the Queens and Kings are mothers mm. and fathers and like figureheads. And then the major arcana is, those are all pretty obvious. I mean, the lovers is just about love. <laughs> um, so the other, mis- how many major arcana are there? 21. Okay. So it's 21. And they literally go from 40. zero to 21. I know you yeah. said this, but mm-hmm. I'm just trying to wrap my head around. Yeah. They, so they, how they, many cards are in a, Typical tarot deck. They're all 78. If it's not 78, it's not a tarot deck, technically. Dang. Mm-hmm. And it, what's really also what's really cool is that they, they carry similar symbols. So, for example, the hermit will almost – he should always have some sort of light because what the hermit means is he's a card that says reflect, like reflect on your inner light. So across decks, if they've done their homework and, they, you know, they know what this deck symbolizes um, – they'll have a light. So my hermit's a guy, this would be impossible for me to flip through all of this. And, but my hermit um, has like a little lantern that he's holding. Um, so they follow tradition. Like you don't just get a tarot deck that doesn't have the same meaning. I mean, the pictures will have slight differences um, via deck, but most decks have a lover's card and it will have two people on it and it represents love. You know, most, you know, most decks should have these certain meanings. Um, so that's kind of the general overview of that. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that's kind of the overview on tarot. So if you do read tarot, which we'll do, um, 
after maybe we'll post some results that'd be kind of <laughs> kind of fun it's more like you're you're not supposed to trick someone up so if you go get a tarot reading you're not supposed to go tell me what that means in my life like if they pull over a card you're, if they pull over the lovers like they'll, they'll describe to you you know this this is showing that you have powerful love or that something's in motion or whatever and you're supposed to respond you're supposed to say oh you know i'm engaged or i'm doing this and then mm-hmm. they pull another card and maybe it's the death card and you're like oh my god am i gonna die and no death does not actually mean that the death card in tarot means an end it just means that you're ending your single life and you're now getting engaged it's great like does that mm, so it, yeah. d- mm-hmm. death almost means like the end of a cycle so it could be the death of high school going into college the death of uh, one home and you're moving into another. I mean, yeah. it, it, but it's like a really big card. So it, that's why it scares people. Of, of course it scares people just to see death, but that's not what it means in the tarot deck. So you have to sort of respond. And so that the tarot reader, um, who is usually an intuitive or a psychic and can uh, sort of pull these things, but they can't pull like mind stuff. They, they pull these, these sort of, and everyone's different, but they pull like feelings and they can sort of sense it a little bit. Um, but they can help you weave these stories together, but they're not going to be perfect. Like they don't go around like knowing everything about everybody. So do you think that maybe if someone, and this could go either way, but it sounds like what you were saying where it's sort of therapeutic. Yeah. It, it, it's similar to what you might get if you went to talk to a psychiatrist. It, yep. It's just a very, it's just a different avenue to that where right. they might have specific questions that they use to prompt you or saying, mm-hmm. how are you feeling today? It's just almost like a visual place to start yeah for interpreting how someone's feeling absolutely i think it would be incredible if therapists would start using picture cards in their therapy but this being said those at home do not go to a tarot reader and expect them to uh (laughs) not a good blend over but i was seeing um my my tarot reader for a while on just some some stuff and i mean she was right on and what kind of helped me you know rework energy and kind of rework like what i was you know expecting and seeing in my own life patterns but mm-hmm. i was also seeing a therapist at the same time so let's just be clear about <laughs> i don't i just don't want to put the pressure on a tarot reader to sort of solve people's problems no no together. no yeah mm-hmm. all right so actually Tom, now that we know 78 cards um they're used mm-hmm. to in, in, be intuitive um they are super popular in culture right now we're seeing a resurgence um and i think that's that origin is mainly just because us, we millennials are starting to get into the spiritual work. We're, we're sort of surpassing um, the American dream that our parents had and we're sort of achieving more and we're looking for meaning in a different way. So a lot of us are like, yay, crystals and tarot and all that. But where did it start? Post American dream. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to be referencing a lot from um, another podcast from Biddy Tarot, and she's like a really good um, source, and I'll post this, and everyone should go listen to that if you want a lot more. And she interviews my Robert, who you said you had a Robert in yours, but mine is Robert Place, who um, is a tarot reader also, but he is super, super knowledgeable on the history of tarot. Um, so tarot dates back to the 15th century, which would be the 1400s week. Yeah, the 1400s. Mm-hmm. Um, they are definitely have um, influences in Italy and France. That's 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 flatline. There's a little bit of arguments that they started in Egypt, um, but that is incorrect, and I will debunk that for a couple of reasons later. Um, which is it's kind of funny how people like relate all things mystic and crazy back to Egypt at one point. It's like, ooh, they were doing well. It just sounds right. You're like, yeah, it probably <laughs> of was course because you know yeah, they were no. doing <laughs> crazy stuff. Oh, it definitely started in Italy and then um, gained popularity in France right after that. Um, 
So Tarochi is the is part of the Taro River in the Parma region of northern Italy. Huh. And that's where the name um Tarochi later evolved into Taro in all of these languages. So it's kind of based off of a location. Going back to our Going names back episode. To our names episode. That's awesome. <laughs> we just got real excited. Um, and so I mean, and then that's such a fun I mean, it has a very concrete start. Yeah. Yeah, it's that's just sort of the region. Um yeah, so it wasn't. It was not in Egypt. So it kind of started. There was a game called Triumph, where one card would triumph another. That's sort of the whole like war. Yeah, kind of. Um, but this wasn't used with traditional playing cards. It was used with like character cards. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is is in essentially how tarot started. Um, these cards were were drawn, hand drawn by people, and then they were used to trump, trump, trump. So one thing would trump another. So that's why it's really important. Then it goes from. Um, the ace all the way up to the 10 and then the mm-hmm. court or, and it started with the major arcana so the other cards got added later but the major arcana the the, the fool through the world those were the main cards that had gotten started cool okay so the most popular deck ever do you do you have a picture in your head of what tarot looks like it's usually like those yellow cards with like the crazy people on them I I think I only just think of it of crazy like a, people on like them. I don't even have a color in mind. I just have a, I just have a general sense of like a, the fool. Looks, yeah. I think that's very yeah, specific yeah. to me, but so, that also could just be because of the Joker in right, regular cards. Right, right. So I'm not sure. So the, the most general tarot deck that most people know is the Rider Waite deck. And that wasn't even started until 1909. The actual hmm. original, original, so that's the one you would have in your head. If, if you had said, oh, it's like yellow and it's got all these like bright colors. And, and that was actually 1909. And I will get into that. But the original, original deck was called the Tarot de Marseille, M-A-R-S-E-I-L-L-E, which is French. And I actually have a replica of it because my sweet boyfriend, Adrian, got it for me um, for Christmas. And this is from 17, not this actual deck, but uh, the... <laughs> She's holding an ancient relic <laughs> in her hand. <laughs> this is from the 17th. Uh, hundreds. Um, oh, it looks really pretty. Yeah, so I will post pictures up, but it's from 1736, and this was the most standard deck um, during that time. And I'll let you kind of flip through, and you can like kind of describe. Here, you can hold it. Um, so you, what you'll note about that is that the 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 main pip cards and the court cards they don't really have pictures on them. They are actually just like five swords or six swords. But some of the other cards actually do have the the, the actual pictures on them. That's because it was played that Whoa, way. These are really pretty. Yeah, they were really beautiful. Um, so players, um, so for Triumph, it started getting used as sort of like a, again, a team game, um, similar to MASH, where players were dealt random cards, and then they had the thematic associations, and you would, like, make a story, mm-hmm. um, sort of like how it's like, oh, I think this is going to happen to me because I got this, this, and this, and that's kind of essentially um, how that kind of started. Um, and then also... The actual firm start of some of the characters happened because of the um, higher class, because these things were hand-painted. They didn't have printing techniques back then. So if you had a tarot deck, it was hand-painted by somebody, which means you had to have money, which means that the upperclassmen were actually the ones, the the court, the fancy people were actually having these things commissioned. And so they started having the same things done, um, which actually developed into the main the main characters. So it was these upper, these upper echelon that were, were saying, Hey, that, I want you yeah. to paint the tarot for me, but it needs to be an authentic tarot. So that's how it sort of started. I mean, that makes so much sense, right? Right. It's, it's always you, the rich people. You, you have enough time on your hands and enough money to go back and, and do this. Can I say these are the, if there's words on here, they're in Italian yes. or French, right? <laughs> yes, they Italian? are. I was okay. like, I can't read them. I was, was going to ask you, like, would you be able to read based uh, on these? Because, or because uh, some of them are very, 
Yeah, that's a really good, really, really good question. Like, so I'm not like a perf. <laughs> I, I like reading tarot because I think it's fun for therapy. Like, I think it's fun mm-hmm. to just say, like, I don't know what I should do. Let me just sort of use pictures. I can't read that deck because it is in Italian and because I like my deck actually has descriptions of like if I pull the six of cups, it's actually got a little mermaid and he's got a bunch of cups around him. If you pull it says six of cups. Yes. Well, that one, it will have six cups on it. Okay, but like I'm looking at this one and it just see. looks like a golden That's... disc and four <laughs> horns coming out of it. Does that mean it's a Yeah, this is the ace of pentacles. The golden disc in the middle is just one giant pentacle. God. So, yeah, you really had to like read that way. Um cool. so the 20 Oh, I think there's 22 major arcana cards. I'm a terrible tarot reader. 22. Um, this can be traced back to as far as 1440 when the first known deck appeared. Um, they were called the forefathers of decks created from nobles. Um, okay. So I found this also really interesting. There's a couple of cards. So this is obviously way back there. I mean, the 1400s were, were, were way, way back there. So let's say you and I are, are out and we're, we're exploring and we find a deck of cards, but they're not like traditional cards. We just find like five cards, right? How would we know? If there are more in the set, and how would we know what order they officially go in? Let's say we just found it in like some sort of ancient store. Or something. So we're just hanging out, and we find five cards. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I mean, and would we, not the traditional card deck. We know that there are other that there are even are other cards. It's a great question. How how do you know? That's exactly what historians are running into with um, old old decks. Uh. You have no older decks didn't even have them numbered they weren't one through 22 or, or they didn't have any of that and they also you can't possibly predict like okay did this have five more cards that just got lost so as far as we know i mean there could have been oh, 90 wow. right and i found that really mind-blowing in that it's very hard to yeah so what you're saying is we have 78 but we could have mm-hmm. had there could have been 150 right we have 78 now i mean and that those are that's pretty concrete. I mean, our culture complete. has I mean, yeah, if it has mm-hmm. certain sets, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Our culture um, has definitely developed in in that way. Um, but it wasn't until the 15th century when the card makers in Marseille—I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right—it looks like Marseille um, in Marseille, France—they began to standardize the cards. Um, before that production. Um, those who were playing could dictate whatever order they wanted in. Um, and then also kind of similar death, the devil and the tower. Um, those were considered offensive. So they were, they were banned for a little while as well. So during the 1400s and 1500s, these, the deck was really being shaped. I mean, people were requesting it differently. I mean, there were like some standard cards. Um, I don't know if you've ever played Loteria. Um, it's like a, Mexican. You've told me about it before. Yeah, mm-hmm. so it's kind of similar. They have a standard set of, of images and pictures, and it's like, oh, well, how did that come to be? And it's just how culture finally demands it to be. But finally, in the 15th century, they said, okay, 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 everyone's using these. We need to have a standard. We're going to define it. And that is that deck you're holding right there is the 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 one that it's really got. beautiful. Yeah. It's very Thank pretty. You. Mm-hmm. Props to props to Adrian. Um, so what's funny is like, okay, same thing where you had, well, okay. So people were using this as a game. How did it suddenly turn mystic? Um, there was theories that it was the alchemists in the 1400s who thought it like contained hidden alchemical imagery and Hebrew lore. The whole concept of alchemists is so fun. I love it. (laughs) I, I love it too. Um, yeah, but this, it didn't really start to be a whole, like, the occult or mystic until about 1781. And this is attributed to Antoine Cor de Gebelin. Italian or French? Frenchman. 
Um, he believed that they came from Egypt. He was wrong. Um, <laughs> the reason why is because the Egyptians didn't have cards. They had papyrus. They had long scrolls. They did not have blocks of stone they used as playing cards. Um, and it is generally disproven that at this point in time, the Egyptians did not yet have a means to shuffle and have little slender cards like this. Was the tarot on really thin stone? I mean, no, no, no. I'm saying the tarot was actually on paper, but the Egyptians weren't. They were using like scrolls. They used scroll work. They didn't actually use use that. So it's kind of disproven that the Egyptians were like <laughs> shuffling cards. And no, that that's that's sort of not not how that. Um, it was impossible. Um, they didn't have paper in ancient Egypt. Um, their their paper just didn't lend itself to small cards. Um, yeah, so he started divining through the cards. He did believe. Um, so he's kind of the, the forefather of that. And so he was the one that started kind of using it. And everyone just sort of started following him and said, okay, now this is this is something we're going to read. Similar to the Ouija board, it was like, we're going to try to connect, connect our futures with this um, and connect it all together, um, which was super interesting. Was he was he sort of seen in the at the time as someone who was um, almost like a priest, where you might go to him for advice, or uh, was he like it? No, I wouldn't it, say just, a priest. How did people come to trust him? Is what I mean. Um, I didn't really have a lot into that, he, but I, he was a noble person, so he wasn't just like a like a peasant that was like, hey, highly I'm educated, just, yeah, highly educated. Mm-hmm. Um, he you know had access to Egyptian stuff, so he really did believe that it was the Egyptians. Um, so yeah, that is sort of how that started happening. So then this, the psychic and the um, mystic population, they started using the tarot because again, like I was saying, it was so easy for them to, to pull a card and just like, and to and say, get a reading, like and, get yeah, a sense of, yeah. yeah and a get a reading and get a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has just sort of carried until today that there's really not like a, a, a path, but you know, psychics and intuitives kind of two different things really um, have used this because it, it is, again, it is a pictorial representation of, of, of icons, of, of archetypes, of common themes that everybody shares. Um, and that's the, another thing that a lot of people say is, oh, don't each of the cards like mean something really, really vague. And they actually don't like each card does have a really specific, like the lovers does not mean vague. Like it really is two people that are in love that have come together. And then there are a lot of other cards. Like there's a, um, the moving card, which like symbolizes physical moving, which could be like you're moving houses. Um, they really do each have their own specific symbols and they were developed by those noblemen in the 1400s and 1500s, um, to appease the higher ups at, at one point. And then it, um, started becoming that's more, a, more popular. I feel like that's a lot older than I thought of it, but I also don't know if I just really assumed it was something ancient and Egyptian, <laughs> but, I mean, it's definitely think, got European, uh, origins. Yeah. And if you look at the cards though, they really don't feel ancient, like uh, the the hierophant, like that's not really, or like um, the empress no, and the emperor. Those oh, the empress and the emperor became really um, symbolic cards because they were emperors and empresses were sure. were bringing them in, and those sort of mean the highest, the higher echelon. But that doesn't feel like it's like ancient tribes no. who are pulling out. Does that no. yeah? But medieval, right? Mm-hmm. Isn't that? Um, but again, those names though, Biddy Tarot and Robert Place, they really had a whole podcast like getting really into it. So I would recommend and I'll cool. post the link that everybody kind of go back and look at that. Oh, so Rider Waite. So I want to talk about the, the main deck as well. So there is a main deck that everyone is like super familiar with. So that is the deck, the um this Marseille deck. 
um, that I have is was the most common one up until about the 1900s when there was another resurgence of, like you were saying with the Ouija board. I mean, I think they mm-hmm. narrowly crossed mm-hmm. uh, or they merely missed each other. Um, where the Rider and Sons Company, and it was Arthur Edward Waite and Pamela Coleman Smith who illustrated it. Um, this was in 1909. They um, drew and did the actual deck, and they um, had it contain the important imagery su- suggested by Waite and drawn by Smith to convey the messages of the cards. Um, so that is like the deck. Like most, I don't have it. I'm a terrible, terrible tarot reader, but most people do. It is like the original. It actually took the symbols and kind of laid the groundwork for. Okay, okay, okay. Here are the final seventy-eight that we're going to be using, and they're they're in this the French deck as well. But the French deck, you'll again doesn't really have the pictures of everything. It has the seven of swords, but it's literally Mm -hmm. seven swords and six swords. So they actually took those meanings that those cards meant and turned them into um, actual pictures. And so from that deck, that is when all these other decks started springing out of the woodworks and and using the um, original Rider's Weight Smith. It's called the Rider's Weight, but I saw that 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 leaves Pamela Smith out, who's the illustrator. So it's also kind of called the Rider Weight Smith deck. Um, but that is the one in 1909 that paved the way for, you know, the decks, this deck that I'm holding right now. Almost like the other. standardization of it? Yes. Or, okay. Yeah. The standardization mm-hmm. over here. Um, so the deck that you brought, that's the Marseille one, but what's the mm-hmm. one you pulled the yeah. six of cups So from? this like, is my is deck? deck. I got this in Seattle, not this recent Seattle trip, but when I went to Seattle before, when I was starting to get into tarot. And there is a myth with, with tarot that you need to discover your deck. Or, or be given it. Um, so you're either given a deck or you um, discover it in a way that's meaningful. And I was told that and I was like, damn, how am I going to ever? <laughs> so I, I go to Seattle to visit a friend and um, there it was. We went into a mystic shop and I was like, oh my gosh, I've never seen this deck before. It was really cool. And I, I did feel like it found me. So this is like my main deck. It's called the Revelations Tarot. I'll post the link to it. But there's a lot of decks now. Like there's wow. a lot of crazy, they do decks for like, there's a Game of Thrones deck coming out, which is going to be really fun for me to get. Um, you had, you gave me the cocktail tarot. Um, so it's just becoming more and more common, but um, especially with us, with us millennials. So yeah, it's rich people. Thanks rich people for, for, commissioning, for commissioning lots of pretty art. Yeah. The hand painted original um, to enjoy. Yeah, deck. So not, not a cool ancient, ancient one. No, neither of these it's, are actually that, that yeah, old. They're really not. Mm-hmm. Um, and yours is a lot older than Ouija. But. What what was Ouija again? What was the original date? I mean, around the 1840s, 1850s. 1840s yeah. Talking boards, not Ouija, yeah. the marketed. Yeah, so it feels very American. Parlor game. This definitely but, started mm-hmm. in France and, and Italy. That yeah, was like there the were, um, there were really no, there, I mean, some people were using talking boards and mediums in Europe, but it was really American. So mm-hmm. the, yeah. Yeah, that's so interesting. But I I just found it interesting that both of our things are very mystic and we're in the same podcast talking about them right now, but mm-hmm. they don't have the same it's not like witches yeah, not and connected. psychics no. all have this like box of tricks that all originated. Like Definitely these things not. are cultural our culture is what's shaping a lot of this stuff. Like it doesn't actually have For the sure. meaning that like ancient Egyptians did not use these cars to conjure spells. Like it, it well, just even just the fact that I don't think that people out in the, you know, um, a regular American wandering out in his day, if you asked him a Ouija board, I mean, he would genuinely be, it's definitely perceived as a spooky, scary, mm-hmm. um, occult yeah. thing that is not to be messed with. You right. Know? And so I think that's, 
it's funny that that perception really only exists after another pop culture thing <laughs> that was in the 70s. Right. And so, you know, it, ha- it has a it has an evolving history, which is super cool. Right. And the same thing with tarot, like mm-hmm. it, it didn't start off as a fortune tell. It's not a fortune telling thing. It is a intuiting. It's, it's just reading all, it's like a game that they were playing to, mm-hmm. to relate. But I think what's giving it meaning now and why psychics are using it is because in personal belief, it, maybe it can, like maybe there is something that's sort of guiding and, and but, that, but it's just choosing the tarot cards to communicate in a way that's like, I don't know. Anybody can read different things. They're just cards with pictures on them. Like we're the ones giving them the weight and we're the ones shaping them. And it's the same thing actually though. If you just like pulled a person on the street, um, Mm -hmm. tarot cards are so associated with psychics. Oh, I don't want to know when I'm going to die. It's like, no, like if you get the death card, it just means something ended. Like it just means like, did you quit your job? Did you recently end a relationship? Did you, you know, move? You know, that's all that really means. It's sort of just like pinpointing what's in your life. So it's kind of helping you untangle um, but they were using or things it. that or things that might not make sense otherwise. You know, mm-hmm. again, it, it, almost if you think about your dream interpretation, like there's yeah. things going on in your subconscious and mm-hmm. that you might not have spent time thinking about um, um, and unpacking them, and that's mm-hmm. really just a way to get at what's maybe yeah um, happening that you're not exactly connecting. It's give, it's giving us physical and the Ouija board as well. It's giving us tangible physical things to interact with to make us feel better either about loved ones that have passed or about your life right now. So I wouldn't recommend going to someone and our tarot reader and asking them to predict everything that's going to happen in your life and then hold it against them. I would go to one with an open mind and kind of see what patterns that you're seeing in the cards, because that's what's most important is what you're getting out of the reading. Um, and a good tarot reader will help you like explain how all the cards are working together. Um, yeah. That's tarot. That's kind of a straightforward story. So that's pretty cool. I yeah. didn't know yeah. anything about tarot. I, so. I was expecting it to be out of an original deck of playing cards. I was like, oh, they took the original deck and they just made all of that. But it really wasn't. It was more of the, the, the trump game where one trumps another, or the mm-hmm. triumph. And then it was um, the little picture mash game where they were like, let's see what ma- what, what what was mash again. It was like... Um, Remember that little game we used uh-huh. to? Uh-huh. They were like, it was what house you were going to live in. Yeah. And who, who you would marry, marry. How many kids you would have. Yeah. Wasn't it that? Yeah. Um, I will say that these, uh, the deck that is the Marseille deck, which is the French mm-hmm. deck. No, it's written in Italian. That one, let me see. I think it, I'm pretty sure this one's actually French. Oh, I don't know. I'm like, I'm like holding this like I know the difference between, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but I will say that these, um, the the paintings on these which are really beautiful definitely remind me the ones that are the the royals like this looks like a joker oh, yeah. this looks like a queen mm-hmm. this is like i mean they look very much like if you were to pull a regular deck of cards you'd recognize mm-hmm. the imagery that is yeah king that is queen that link though is just because that's what people were doing that time is uh-huh. the nobles they had were commissioning both, yeah. mm-hmm. they were and the, actually this deck is one out of uh, 1836 out of 3000 that Adrian got for me. And the, the oh, description really card cool. is in some of the language that it looks like French to me, but I can't read it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, that is our um, Ouija board and tarot. Hopefully it doesn't feel as mystic anymore. They're just simple origins. Yeah. And hopefully uh, you go watch a scary movie. And <laughs> yeah. Go watch the out. Exorcist. You're not going to get freaked out uh, by this stuff. Yeah. So. All right. Thanks so much for listening guys. Bye. This podcast was produced by Johnny Stubbs in Atlanta, Georgia. Visit us online at theoriginsofpodcast.com or to help us support this podcast, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash theoriginsofpodcast.